You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover magic, the gathering finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Hey guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast, and this week we're kind of taking a look back at our individual pasts. We're mm -hmm. taking a look at basically what are the hard knock lessons that we learned as MTG financiers over the last 30 years, you know, or however long we've been doing this. So with that, let's get it started. Okay. Uh, up at the top for me, uh, it's something that I've had to learn since I worked at a vendor uh, moving forward is that you can't just rely on vendor only data when you're not operating solely in that ecosystem. It is fantastic when you are, when you can basically operate off that BIOS because you are operating off of their client profile. But when you are out here in the real world attempting to put the their client profile to use for your own methods, uh, difficult uh, oftentimes leads to failure because you don't actually know what that customer profile is when you're on the outside. Um, looking at card kick and TCG player trends only tells a person uh, a little bit of the story. And now if I can't find the demand for something, then I can't verify that the movement is actually real. And now that I'm implementing these kind of lessons, I'm left with fewer dead specs than I was before when I was just moving off of vendor data and I wasn't looking what was going on behind the scenes when I was just trying to operate basically as a feeder for CK or a feeder to TCG player, then I was left with a ton of dead specs. And two of these are that immediately came to mind are both Haven and Crucible of the Spirit Dragon uh, heading into and after rotation of Fate Reforged. There was no real demand and they became an illiquid spec. When they were in standard, they were both players to a degree. I believe uh, Crucible more than Haven and Commander yep. was on the upswing. So why not buy into lands that power up dragons, a very popular type then, a very popular type now. But the thing is, they were just wholly illiquid because I wasn't CK and I wasn't TCG player. I wasn't able to buy at their numbers and their numbers continue to dwindle over time as demand eventually ended so that is the first lesson i have for today uh mine is kind of similar and that's uh no when to take the loss um one of the things that's really hard and i think a lot of people get in their head is there's no such thing as an acceptable loss mm -hmm. you know i'm into this card for six doesn't matter that it's four now i have to hold on until it gets back to eight no, I there there is such a thing as let me just get out of this illiquid spec yep. and move on to something better. Uh, the exception to this rule is, of course, Sarkin's unsealing. Uh, but anything else, just look, it, you 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 need to accept that you're going to miss sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're going to whiff. You're going to have a bad spec, and that's okay. You can either turn it into a longer term spec, or it is acceptable to say, hey, you know what. I'm into, you know, these fetches for way too much money and I need liquid capital so that I can start churning different things. Fetches are a bad example because they're always liquid. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, you have to be willing to accept that loss. You have to be willing to say, you know what? I was wrong. I messed this one up. I just need to take my licks and move on from there. Yeah. And I think the important thing there is, you know, there's 
there is a time where liquidity is significantly more important than your belief in a card, than your need for an inventory, that you may have to take another void, for example. This is a card that, and correct me if I'm wrong, no vendor wants more than exactly one of in their case, but they always want exactly one. To show off the habit. Yeah, just to say I have it for that completion. You know, you have to be able to say, look, we may have paid 400 for this Nether Void and it's a $700 card, but we've got our licks out of it. Let's get rid of it for 500 so we can get a sale because we have two, another Nether Void lined up already yep. that we can get for 400 or again. turning that $500 into shocks at Biolus is going to bring you back more than... Faster yep. than that Nether Void will. Yep. And I think that's a lesson that a lot of people really have difficulty learning and that's that's one of the first lessons i learned yeah. uh early on in the financier days not as a vendor nope, i actually just did that uh last week i sent in i sent in a 200 dollars order to ck built on dimes and quarters because hell just, yeah uh standard stuff things that are rotated out that look good that are no that are not going to be good in pioneer and modern a little small back catalog of specs and I don't know when I turned into the person that just wanted to collect planeswalkers, but I had like a fat pack box of planeswalkers that I picked up in trade. I don't, oh. I'd never had the idea that I would collect all the individual planeswalkers, not each version. So I didn't have like a white border Tybalt. Um, and I went through it and I was just like, all right, man, some of these are really bad or they're good and I'm never going to play them because they're commander only and it's not my style. Yeah. So I just, I went through and I basically outed a bunch of backstock specs and planeswalkers. So. Uh, that is a, a good lesson to to keep in mind and something that you should be doing periodically time to time because we've <clears> talked about how much space this takes up. Yeah. And when you don't have a lot of space, when it is a premium, then it's basically just a sunk cost. So you should be churning through your inventory unless you know this is like a, a three to six, nine month, whatever. Set that timeline. At that timeline, make a decision. Keep it or let it go. But every now and again, you should go back through and call, right? Yeah. For me, uh, the next lesson I have is that relying solely on TCG player sales is a trap, but it's less of a trap than just relying on CK and uh, like vendor data like that. I mentioned uh, TCG player up top and just relying solely on that without looking for the demand. Uh, and it is still a trap, but less of a trap. Now, um, you can buy into sustained movement on TCG player, and that is a trap, but it is less of a trap because without verifying what's going on, at the vendor level or the player level, you're going to end up in some illiquid specs. And right now, uh, the most recent one I have, and I went back 120 days, is Forge Anew. I didn't, I didn't go deep on this card. I picked it up because it's modern playable, but I went over a playset. I think I went maybe to eight to have like one for Commander because I know I have or will have an Akiri Line Slinger deck or something like that, some Boros equipment, hoo-ha. And the rest of them are just specs. And I went off of basically the TCG player uh, sales velo. And I knew it was in modern. So I picked it up. But it is basically an illiquid spec right now. Nobody is really looking for this card in such quantity that it's going to take off. It's going to be a bit illiquid. And I bought into it knowing that. Maybe I will make four other equipment-based commander decks. I have a use for this card that isn't just putting it in my spec box if I need it. So there is a little bit of a backup there. But if I were going to rely solely on the Velo and not actually looking at what was going on in the modern format or commander or at the vendor level, then this is going to be a trap similar to just relying on CK data, but not nearly as much of a trap. That is my second lesson. 
Uh, my second is, I think, one that some shops did not take to heart during the pandemic and has resulted in shops or businesses closing. Okay. And that is you make your money by making margins, not by chasing the market. If I get 20% out of every card that I sell, I don't care. I am more than happy with that. I will yeah. move on and take my money and go. And a lot of people, and I want to be specific here, that there is a difference between specking and chasing the market. Um, okay. You know, if you hear all of a sudden some MTG Finance Discord is moving in on a card, oh, well, I need to go ahead and buy it because it's going to spike. That's chasing the market. That is chasing something you think is going to happen. That is seeing sales velo on a card explode and letting FOMO take over. Mm -hmm. Don't chase the market. Chase your margins. If I can pay $7 on a $10 card and sell it for $10 cash, I'm pleased as punch. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's how I stay in business, how I pay my bills, how I keep the lights on, how I keep my staff employed. And it's really important to understand, you know, you may have like, oh, this card's being bought out. Let's bump our prices up. No, you bought that card to sell at $5. Just because the price shoots up to 7 that's fine. You still made money selling it at $5. Yeah, you, you made rather, your percent. Yeah, you would rather that be a hole in the case because you churned it and can't, and can't bring it back in than just sit there and take up space. Yeah, yeah. and there, there have been plenty of times where I myself have had a card listed on TCG Player. I see the buyout happening, and I'm like, cool, I'm going to raise it $5, and then it doesn't sell. Well, guess what? I just cost myself the $5 that card would have sold for if I didn't chase the market on yeah. it. And I would have made my 20% and been fine. Mm -hmm. And similar to making a, you know, there is such a thing as acceptable losses. There is such a thing as an acceptable miss. Just because you missed out on this window of this card being 2 to 3x what it was doesn't mean you didn't make money. You know, how often do you hear the trade of, oh, this is the worst trade I ever made? Yeah, but at the time, were you happy with it? Because hindsight doesn't matter. You made your money. Yep. And I think that that's something that a lot of people lose sight of. And especially during the pandemic when everything was so easy and the market was just insane because you had Ember Wild Caliphs for like $6 for a couple weeks. Absolutely wild. You had a bunch of people moving reserveless bulk and chaff and trying to make a ton of money on it. Um, not naming myself here, but naming myself here. And... I just don't think that's a sustainable business model as a shop, as a financier, as anything. It's just not sustainable. You need, If you are of that mindset, you should get away from it as quickly as you can and get into the marginal, by which I mean chase your margins. Yep. Get into that mindset. That's how you're going to make money. Okay. No, uh, uh, it's something that we preach a lot. You know, be, be happy with your margins. Don't you know, try and sell into FOMO if you don't have to, don't try and move in on FOMO because oftentimes, like you said, you are chasing the market and you're at the tail yeah. end. You would rather, if you're going to do anything, you'd rather beat the market. That's more about yes, what speculating exactly. is about is trying to beat the market rather than chase the market. When you're chasing, yeah. you are literally behind. So, yep. Uh, for me, the next thing uh, I thought about was week run. The, my, my next three are going to be kind of uh, similar. But we're going to start off with chasing week run week one results. That is more often than not a trap. Now, Star City has changed. And I say this as if it's brand new, but this is like six, eight years ago. They changed their event schedule to be 
The first standard open was the week after a set release. Then they changed it again to be the weekend of set release. And so now you have the opportunity to chase week week one results based on Star City open results. And there have been success stories from that. Glint Sleeve Siphoner, Walking Ballista, that basically the energy deck from standard. Yeah. That, was an, that was an easy win. Uh, humans in the standard format before that. Another easy win. You can like I picked that one up in spoiler season. Watsy handed that deck to us, and that one was pretty easy. That's chasing week one results. More often than not, it is a swing and a miss. And the the one that hurts the most is Elder Deep Fiend, because that was a week one result from a Pro Tour where the deck was such a flash in the pan that it could not be played after the Pro Tour. That was the Eldritch Moon. Uh, Pro Tour where we were whatever the hell that keyword is on Elder Deep Fiend. Basically sacrificing. Emerge. Yeah, we were emerging Deep yeah. Fiend. We were casting uh, Emrakul, The Promise, and honestly, we were in Not a, off a marble. Yeah, we were in a slower format and that deck just ran over the field. It looked really, really good week one. Then the field yep. changed and that deck was stone unplayable. So buying into Elder Deep Fiend, the card that basically let that deck function in the standard format, is a huge sore spot, and one of those things that stands out is just being a big miss. Another yeah. one was, and they joke about this all the time, including Pro Tour Chicago that just happened, Dominaria releases, we get Karn with pants for the first time, and Channel Fireball shows up with a Simic deck that nobody had heard of before besides them. And yep. it was the worst deck in the field, by miles but there was opportunity to buy into everything in that deck and just light your money on fire just because people came in with that we saw the the deck list go up on thursday or whatever after it was submitted so it's like oh this is the talk of the town it came out of a testing house it's going to rock the format it's going to take over yeah you buy into those karns um and might have had karn simporal sundering as well to take extra turns it just was this goofy deck that just bombed at the PT. So if you were relying on, I mean, even this, I guess we're talking about like pre week one results at this point, like yeah. to define how you want to spec, that's literally just lighting your money on fire for that. And that is what happens more often than not. You need to give formats now a little bit of breathing room. They need some time because things move quickly. And I'll continue to touch on this in my next couple of points. So I, the example I always go to is when Shota won the Pro Tour with that Grixis uh, Torrential deck. Okay. And after he wins, Marie is interviewing him, and he, she asks, you know, what do you, what do you think about this deck? What would you tell people oh, to I see this, this deck? Thing. And he goes, do not build. Pro Tour deck. You know what people still did? They moved in on the deck. Yep. Even after the guy who literally was one of the only people in the field with that deck geared that deck and tuned that deck for the Pro Tour says, hey, don't build this deck. It's for the Pro Tour. Yep. It was for this metagame. People still moved in on it. Yep. I, you, I, you have to give it time because that deck was irrelevant. Yeah, I, I think after that, that, event. that interview bore out the Shota. The only people that can play Shota decks are Shota, and he can only play them at the Pro Tour and do well with them. That, that is Exactly. The That's the only spot. That. Yeah. It's it's just like Wafo Tapa playing a blue white list. He could literally put a sandwich bag and paint it blue and white and top eight in a bit. Yep. Uh, my my next one is less of a financier thing and more of an LGS thing. Yep. Uh, although yep. it could apply to financiering as well. 
And that is make sure that you do not expand before you are ready. Make sure that you are in a safe spot before you expand the operation. And what I mean by that is, you know, keep your overhead low while you can. Try to stay in your vertical. If you don't really deal with power very much, don't try to expand into power unless you're safely able to do so. Because the rest of your portfolio is churning at a rate that you can afford to take a hit. You can be okay taking an L on a couple of pieces of power and still be fine. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of people, you know, inventory completion is important. But I also think there's a value to just dealing with what you know. Uh, I, Starfoils are still my bread and butter. I still have friends and vendors like, hey, what do you think this is worth? I can't find sales data because that's the thing I know. I don't pretend to know a lot about Blackboard or power. I just don't deal with it very much. So when it comes to me at a booth, I usually pass it off to someone who's a little bit more knowledgeable. So stay where you're comfortable and stay in a spot where, you know what, I am safe here and I can safely expand. Because if you own an LGS and you're in a 1,500 square foot space and your lease is up and you're looking and you double your footprint to 3,000 feet, do you have the inventory for that? Do you have the staff for that? Do you have the ability to have a customer base that even supports that? Are you on TCG Player? Are you selling in an online marketplace? Do you have something like Card Conduit that helps out? And I think that's something that a lot of people, especially when they open a store, everyone wants to open a store because they love the game. They think it's great. They think it's fun. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It's 70-hour weeks. It's a lot. So make sure you are ready for that expansion, that you are ready to bring on a partner if you're a backpacker. And you're like, hey, we're going to join our inventories. We're going into business together. Let's do it. Make sure that you're ready for those things and absolutely ready. Because if you move into a space going from 3,000 square feet to 15,000 square feet, where you go from zero overhead to $13,000 a month overhead, that's a big jump. Yeah. And you need to make sure that you can safely do that. Because if you really do love it, and you're fine with those 70-hour weeks, it would be awful to have that dream crushed because you overextended a little bit too soon because your thought was, you know what, I've got it. Or if something happens, we'll just figure it out. Make sure you've got a plan in place and that you have safeguards and that you're able to comfortably do it because I've seen a lot of stores, a lot of vendors pull into Icarus and not Preston. Preston's great. Oh, yeah. The actual classic myth, Fly Icarus. To, yeah fly too high too fast and all of a sudden your wings burn and you're out of the industry as a scam artist or just because you're broke and it happens and that's something that i think a lot of people they just get so excited because they love the game so much that they just burn out yep and just don't don't do that try not to um if you've made it this far cool i'm gonna put a link in the show notes to the i forgot the name of the channel it's like gaming arizona or something like that they interviewed Gaming, Mark... etc. No, no, no. Um, okay. It, it, the channel, I believe, yeah, the YouTube channel is run by somebody who sells video games. And they've, they've, okay. they've documented their journey, and they've interviewed a number of resellers in Arizona and around the United States. And they did a, an episode with Mark Nestico at the in middle or the end of January. And I believe the episode is titled, Don't Open a Video Game Store, It's a Trap. And most of the things that we've talked about up to this point, Mark covers. And the rest oh, of the points right. that we're going to talk about, I'm sure Mark covers and more. It is a very delightful watch. And I'm, like I said, I'm going to link it because it's 
very, very relevant to what we're talking about. And whether you're operating, you're doing MTG finance by yourself for a company, et cetera, it is a very good uh, listen on top of everything that we've talked about here in this episode and then going back historically because we've made some of these points before. Now, moving on. For me, uh, one of the other things that I, I keep bumping up into is uh, a trap a lot of other people seem to either fall into or want to push people into like it's a punji pit, and that is relying on moto results from the weekend of a large paper event to identify the cards to move in on. And it really is just when the cat's away, the mice will play. Because every time, it, it, this is what happens every time. Oh, something dumb happened in Vintage and Legacy and on Moto when all of the Legacy and Vintage players were in Prague for Eternal Weekend. It happened again when they were all in Philly. It happened when they were in Japan as well. My God, what is going on with this format? It's insane. Look at all this innovation. No, all those people are that keep the format in check, that play good decks, that don't allow this random BS to happen, are playing in paper. It happens with Pro Tours. It happens every time. And you are just... It is like that... Um, the, the Simpsons meme, where he, uh, Bob just keeps stepping on rakes. Yeah. Where Sideshow Bob, like, he gets out of the car or whatever it is, and he just steps on a rake, and he turns around, and he steps on another rake, and he just steps on another rake. That's, 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 that's all this is. Whenever you rely on motor results from the weekend of a yep. large paper event to speculate and formulate or formulate an idea of wherever a format is going, you're just going to step on a rake. Yep. And I, <clears throat> I want to stress here that it's any, any data. It, a league, a large event, anything on Moto that's going on when the same format is being played in paper at a large event. No mas. A trap. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that plays into people who may not necessarily know who the grinders are for those formats. Because whenever I see stuff like that, the people that are moving in on those cards are not the people who are dedicated to those formats. And it's it's frustrating because it's like, guys, do you not like do you not see what's happening here? Like this this is exactly like you said, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And it's frustrating. To uh, say the least. Yeah. Right. What do you got? M mine? Uh have a short memory. Okay. Uh similar to, you know, last point and the earlier points. If you mess up, don't beat yourself up over it. It's okay. Uh for example, uh, GP Columbus, it was the weekend Chris Rush passed. Mm. Um, we picked up a signed Lotus uh, for $2,200 unlimited. Good Lord, you couldn't get that for 7000 now. This was a while ago. Yeah. Anyways, we picked it up for 2200 Rush passed uh, while we were on site at the event. He was not there, but the news broke that Christopher Rush had passed, and we were like, oh, shit, we need to get rid of this thing. Because this is going to be worth a ton of money right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I believe we sold it for a quick $600 flip and got 2800 out of it. Um, get back from the event, unpacking everything, just unwinding on Facebook. I see the same Lotus sell for $4,500. Two days later. Yeah. Uh, I was really mad about that. And was like, man, I fucked 
up, can't believe this, but this plays into the make your margins and move on. Uh, you can't beat yourself up about it too much because, look, everyone's messed up. Everybody's had a miss. You've just got to get back at it because you got to where you were because you believed in yourself. And keep at it because you clearly know what you're doing to have started making money here. Just because you miss one, just take the lesson and move on. on. Hey, look, we made 600 bucks in an hour. That's an insane rate. If I could make $600 an hour as a business, I would be very happy. If I have little to no overhead, which is a backpacker, which is what I was, I didn't. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people in this industry have issues with below a certain point is the memory. Sometimes people hold on to it. Like I still remember my worst trade ever was trading. This was when alliances released four force of wills for an arena. Uh, that was a bad trade then. Yeah. It's even worse now. Um, but I think, you know, you have to have a short memory and move on just because you messed up, just because you missed out on one, just because you, you know, and this is true of playing too. I mean, how many pros have said one of their best assets is having a short memory fucked up. I bought the wrong card. I paid too much on this card. Move on. We're going, keep going. It just makes it a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. And that also helps in like building out the, these lessons and these adages too, is when you make those mistakes, identify them add them to your heuristics, to your like do's and do nots, and then move on. Make sure that there's yep. something teachable in that moment and then continue forward. And everything that I've mentioned thus far and my next point is all, all a lesson I've learned thus far. Um, yeah. Aside from the week one result thing, because I played in an era, and I'll, I'll get to this in the next point, where the GP would happen and then everybody would buy the deck from the GP. But yep. there is because the GP was the test weekend for the pro tour. Ex- yes. And it also set the standard for what was to come in, st- in standard because, uh, uh you know, I'm, I'm literally just going to, to bulldoze through all, well, everything I'm going to say without making my point. Let me make my point first. Uh, this yeah. is again, on moto related, uh, league data is rarely useful, but good to keep an eye on. Right. So we've talked about no week one results, don't rely on moto results when there's a large uh, for formats when there's a large paper event in that format and league data is rarely useful but good to keep an eye on. Uh, any deck can 50 a league. We know this. It doesn't mean everything should be actioned. It doesn't mean anything in particular is actionable. Um, it's good to see what goes on and watch for repeat results across several leagues for sustained success, this is what will really determine whether or not what you're seeing is going to be something useful. Uh, Think back to uh, what was four or five years ago when there was just that bullshitting about some Pirates deck in Legacy, and the Pilots kept pulling their punches and going 4-1 so it wouldn't make league data and basically just made a bunch of fools by pirate cards because they had no idea what pirates were in the deck so they were just spending money wildly on nothing like there was no league data to support this and even if there was it's just sporadic data and everything and everything and anything can 5-0 you cannot treat league data like early 2000s gp data because magic is now a 24-hour game and metagames can metagames can shift daily and we do see that so now going back to a minute ago I came up like you did in that era of G- whatever GP 
was going on. That format was now locked in because the GP proved out everything. The internet was around. We had cable internet. We had high-speed internet. But what we didn't have was content. Yeah. We didn't have a way to iterate on metagames quickly. So we had to rely on GP results. You could buy into the week one results then. But now that, like the news, Magic is a 24-hour beast you can't rely on week one data anymore. You yep. can't rely on sp like one specific event. You have to wait for something to happen again and again and again. You need to see that repeated data point to say like, hey, okay, now, now we know this is good. And it's, this, this is uh, a, a heuristic I've built just watching the game evolve over time. Deck building to play in formats and wanting to succeed as a player. And it's a very easy lesson for me to then take and roll into financing as well. Because if I wouldn't buy these cards because I thought it was a good deck, I'm surely not going to buy them to try and sell them to some, somebody else. That's chasing the market. I don't like to be behind. I want to be ahead. And uh, if, you were, if you've been following the podcast for a while, you've been in the Discord, like there are times where I have been way ahead way yeah. ahead because i watched todd anderson put up a weekend of results a weekend of results with a deck he iterated on it all weekend other people picked it up and it took over an entire weekend awesome there have been times where i've been way behind as well but league data rarely actionable no and i i think you know the thing that i really is, is kind of a common, like, why would you trust this stuff? Is how many people have said, oh, this is a deck that I took to leagues and I 4-0'd, but then I scooped. Like, it's so easy to obfuscate that data that it's just useless. It's not good. And people actioning on it is just always so strange to me because I'm like, look, you know, we, even looking at Pauper or Legacy, you know, formats that are almost entirely online because of how easy it is to transition decks. Um, without having to dig too far. That league data is not entirely reliable. I mean, how many times do you see Dredge in a 5-0 in Legacy? Mm -hmm. Look, man, you got three Tormod scripts or Relics. Cool, game, GG. I, it's not trustworthy. Um, for, for my last lesson, uh, it's actually, I think, one of the most important lessons. Okay. Uh, and that is, do not be afraid to lean on your network. Oh. Um, if you're not sure, ask for help. If you want help with something, ask. A uh, prime example is once upon a time, there was this wonderful card called Hatred in Magic the Gathering, and it was a $5 reserve list card that's insane. Um, the Cabal, we basically bought a bunch of it, and we had a few members that were in Europe. And we said, hey, guys, if we you know, give you a percentage, will you ship those over to the States? Got them for like two euros, three euros, yeah. so around $5 plus shipping. But I made, you know, and we all made a shit ton more money on that because we leaned on our network because we said, hey, look, we think this card is criminally undervalued. Uh, so let's start picking up copies of it and see if we can drive up some interest or see if the price corrects in some way. And sure enough, it did. You know, similarly, hey, look, I've got a really big buy coming up that's going to be about 15 grand. I don't have 15 grand liquid. Can I take a loan or will you do the buy and I'll just take a finder's fee for it. 
you know, lean on your network. It's the whole backpacker, binder, grinder, vendor relationship, right? Where you used to be able to sit down at the beginning of a weekend and be like, hey, can I see your hot list? I'm going to pick this stuff up on the trade floor and sell it to you at the end of the weekend. Just guarantee me these prices still. And you'll get 30 of each. And that is so much more important in this industry than a lot of other industries. Because, look, just because I and St. Louis can't sell casual EDH foils doesn't mean that someone in California can't sell casual EDH foils or that you in Jersey can't sell casual EDH foils. So, hey, I have all this illiquid inventory. Can I send it to you and you just send me some of yours and swap it out? Yep. That network is so crucial. It's so important because when you can crowdsource information, funds, buys, whatever, your ability to make money just expands exponentially. It's like I've said on this podcast before, you know, rising rising tides raise all ships. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all in this together to make money. Mm-hmm. You know, I just because I'm you make $10 doesn't mean I can't also make $10 on something. And that network, that knowledge base is so crucial to that. And that's something that I think a lot of people lose out on by having this kind of lone wolf mentality. And I think that it's incredibly important that if you have people you can lean on, if you have people you can trust that you make use of that, it's just huge. It also makes customers in both in both directions too, right? Just because exactly. going back to that uh, casual commander foil stuff, right? Just because you can't sell those doesn't mean you don't know somebody who can't. So you by yeah. working with other people, by other vendors, etc., you can build those lines and know that what you are buying can be moved immediately, even if you're just taking a wash on it, even if it's just zeros for you, yeah. right? You ship those out to somebody who can move them. You get paid out for it. So you, you know, like I said, it's a zero, but the, you bought that entire, that person's entire collection at a fair market price. You've yep. made a customer. That can be word of mouth advertising for you. Conversely, somebody comes in looking for something. You may not have it, but you have a network of people who might. So you can make outreach and try and get that person what they're looking for. And again, even if you swing and a miss, you will now be known as somebody who took that extra step to help somebody. And that goodwill and that good faith can be worth so much more than just sticking to your guns and staying in your lane. Right? Yep. And I think that that's a, a huge lesson as well as like the, the ability and the wants to help people can make or break you and your business. And it, it's all part and parcel, right? Yeah. Um, I got nothing else. I, I think your points were fantastic. So, Likewise. All right. uh, ready for picks? Yes. All right. You went first last week, and my pick's going to take like four minutes. So I'm going to run this one down. Great. Uh, this week we're talking about Toxic Deluge, specifically from EMA, because that's the one that I decided to start to track. Uh, when I added this to my notes in August, uh, basically in beginning September, CK Boat was buying 23 at 750. There were 162 on TCG Player at 1578, and then we ate a reprint. Right, so everything's kind of gone down. Uh, when I was taking my notes over the weekend, CK was buying 17 at 480, and there were 132 listings on TCG Player for a market of 993. Right now, CK is actually buying 12, but at 550. So interesting. We can make more but only sell less and the current market price on tcg player is nine dollars 33 still with 131 listings so a number of copies have sold um overall toxic deluge is exactly what it says it is it is 
a effectively Wrath of God. Uh, it costs two and a black. It's a sorcery. Uh, as an additional cost to pay to cast Toxic Deluge, you pay X life, and all creatures get minus X minus X until end of turn. So this is a very flexible board wipe. Um, it doesn't have to be an, an entire board wipe. It can just be a setup card. It's fantastic. That there's not a lot to say about this card in regards to how it's played in Commander and uh, on the occasion Legacy, because this is a very well-costed, surgically efficient board wipe that allows you to remove problems while leaving some or all of your board behind. Do you need to get real, rid of a Blightsteel Colossus? Cool. Toxic Deluge has got you. This gets everything. You can you can get some things or everything, and I think this is a really good example of Yet again, reading the card explains the card, and the power is there. It's it's two sentences, like 25 words, which is mind-bogglingly few right now. And it is oh, yeah. amazing. It is currently in 16% of decks on EDH rec, and that puts us at about 300,000 total decks on rec. This is an all-time heater. Now, I did mention that we ate a reprint, so why are we looking at Toxic Deluge right now? Well, because of the graph that I brought up <clears throat> not too long ago, and I'll bring it up again now, and what we see here. What we see for the graph of Toxic Deluge is this run-up to basically uh, no reprints from its from the EMA printing all the way up until about July 2020. I think we hit the second reprint overall uh, first repr first printed in 2013 so it was four years before this card was uh, reprinted and then another four years before i got a second reprint and all it did was start seeing more and more play but it generally takes about three months for deluge to recover from a reprint and we see that in the graph each one of those spikes is a run-up to a reprint then it craters three months later it comes right back and the the one thing we notice is that it basically seems to right now have hit its, mm, I want to say all-time low of about 10 bucks. It was about like six for a minute. It uh, didn't hold very long, and now we're about at all, we're about $10. We're, we are in the ravine for this card. So I expect we have another month and a half or two months before we can move this back into the open market. Now, uh, I would expect to move this fairly e easily for profit in between Bloom Barrow and Duskmorn. So that those are the, the sets we're looking at. That's exactly what we're looking at in a year. And fairly easily after the release of Duskmorn, because that'll be outside our three-month little cycle. Uh, moving these in trade is also going to be pretty easy. If your locals didn't buy into Murderers at Karloff Manor Commander, which is where we just ate our reprint, um, that is in the Revenant Recon deck. And if they didn't buy it, buy into it, then they don't have it. So it is just easy to move from your binder. If you wanted to pick this up for Murders of Karlov Manor, again, it is the Revenant Recon deck, and that thing was just chock full of solid reprints. I don't think Baleful Strix in there, was in there, but it felt like when this was first released in 2013, they had to put two copies of this deck in every case. They had to change it from a four-deck case to a five-deck case with two copies of this one deck. That's how popular this card was, and... and in theory, still, still is. is. Now, as far as Bylas are concerned, I think we're probably looking at six to nine months as the reprint absolutely crushed the value on Bylas and effectively halved 
the buy value based on the numbers that we were seeing. We have to wait for murders at Karlov Manor commander copies to flow out of the vendor ecosystem before we do see that, li that lift overall. Uh, reprint equity, this seems to get at least one reprint a year in a commander set, and we just saw a yearly quota with murders at Karlov Manor, but there is a slight chance we get another one in Duskmorn just based on the overall theme they're trying to ascribe to with that set, which is like the uh, slasher films of the 80s and some horror movies trope stuff. Could we get a Toxic yeah. Deluge reprint in there? Sure. And then after that, I would expect another three months. So that would basically put us, that would move the timeline out into like the fall. Right now, we're looking into like late spring, early summer for our our uh, window to, to exit. By quantity, I have a playset from the C13 printing with about a dozen more still sealed in those decks. And uh, I find I'm basically just riding those out overall and trading them as people are looking for them i'm not really buying any more to flip i got all i need and if you wanted to just go in and pick up something close to a dozen you were going to be fine with this especially if we buy in now because like i said we are in that ravine and we're in here pretty deep and now is the time yeah i it always surprises me how adopted this card is Especially in EDH, because most people still operate under the, oh, life is good, I win by having more life at the casual end. But I've noticed a lot of people will still pack Deluge in Deluge. their decks. Yeah. Uh, it, it's great. Love it. Um, my pick this week uh, is kind of, I mean, I've picked it before, but it's also a lesson. Um, so this, this is a bonus point. Uh, and that is if you truly believe in something, stick to it. Just do it. Uh, I am picking Splinter Twin, specifically the Rise of the Eldrazi version. Uh, so if you take a look at the stocks graph, you can see we just came off another spike. Uh, in fall last year-ish, like July, August, September, somewhere in there. Yep. Uh, and we are now back at the point where we've kind of hit what our temporary floor is on this card. Now, I think one of the great things that they did with the last ban announcement for Modern was they did say... Uh, hey, and that's when this spike was, was right before the ban-unban announcement. They said, hey, look, we understand. We hear you with Splinter Twin. We're paying attention to it to decide if it's a right card to bring off. For them to acknowledge that says to me that Splinter Twin is going to come off the reserve list. It is. It just is. The ban list, yeah. Or ban list, sorry, not reserve list. It's a matter of time. It may not be soon, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday and for the rest of the game's life, I hope, because this card's bad and modern. Yeah. It's meta's too fast for it. Maybe the Banning of Fury made this card better. Who you knows? still have Solitude and Force and Negation to contend with as free spells, right? So, Yeah, there's, there's plenty of things that you can do to get rid of and, this. And uh, Force of Vigor. Force of Vigor, yeah, as well. Um, but I think that this card is going to go up again. It's mm. going to happen at this point. At this point, it is definitely going to eventually come off. Make sure you pick them up because this is contrary to some of the points I made earlier. A card that you can absolutely sell into FOMO for a fortune. This card has not been reprinted since 2015. That's like nine years. That is entirely too long for a card like this to have not been reprinted. But it seems like they're not in a hurry to reprint it anytime soon because... It does busted things. Yeah. So quantity-wise, I'd be looking at about 5 to 10 because at this point it's like 6 $7. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so between 35, 70 bucks to park on this, throw it in a box and forget about it. Now, timeline is where it gets a little bit trickly because frankly, who knows? Uh, this is one of those, uh, there aren't bad specs, just longer term ones. Mm -hmm. This may be a long term spec. This may be something you sit in a box and forget about, but having just come off of a ban announcement, which saw the usual spike in the card because everybody thought it was going to come off. And the fact that they acknowledged the card is something that they are watching to me says that the very next time they say, Hey guys, we've got a modern announcement coming. Guess what's going to happen? This card is going to shoot up because everyone is going to think exactly what I do. Yeah. That, hey, they mentioned it. It's got to come off eventually. And at that point, it's going to be too late to buy in on it. Yep. So especially as quantity dries up because they're not printing more of this card and it doesn't, it continues to not get reprinted. I think you have to, have to buy into this card if you ever plan to. Like, this may be our last shot because it may come off at the next announcement. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But when it does, it's going to go back to that $20, $30 card, I imagine, for at least a little bit yep. until the meta sorts itself out and people realize the card's not good. Yeah, I can imagine it just continuously being a role player in modern. There's enough card selection to get you to Splinter Twin and enough creatures to put this on that to, that you can combo out. But there's also a world where you don't need a combo out to win. You can just annoy people by twinning grief. Yeah. Right? Or twinning solitude. You, you can just do weird and silly things like that so twin just becomes this kind of utility or role player in the format um yeah overall this is still a commander card you can still just jam this in in commander so at least it still has a home uh, overall the this and stoneforge mystics used to be the the running joke of like oh the ban and, re and restricted announcement is coming up better buy so we can sell to people who are yeah you know looking to buy that weekend in speculation and overall it's hard for me to want to tell people to buy into to twin if they don't want to sell to the people who are going to be buying at that announcement. That's right? true, yeah. Right. This this is not a buy list out. This is a open market FOMO out 1000%. Yeah. So I like to to say to to pick this up and toss it in a box for later to me is a little a little rough. I think this is fine as a binder card because it's been banned. Very it hasn't true, been yeah. reprinted in so long. And it's, like I said, it does have utility in, in the commander format. So yeah. overall, I think it's a fine look in preparation because then, yeah, sure, you can make a couple extra bucks on this. But at the end of the day, this also probably isn't too difficult to move at a slight no. premium, you know, a rounding error essentially from a market of 770 up to 8 or something, right? Um, yeah, locally, I think this might actually be a fine binder look. Maybe not at the quantity sure. prescribed. If you want to go in deep, I, then yeah, yeah probably like three, box four three. maybe should be fine. Yeah, you know. and I think so. It, it's it's you know for the point for the points you you raise is like sticking to your guns with this. Um, I think that it's a fine look if you wanted to to, to bring it in as a spec for modern. Otherwise, I think it's an okay look for Commander as well. You just have to change your quantity and your timelines on this. Yeah. So having that kind of flexibility makes it more appealing to me. Wanting to buy this just to put in a shoebox in the in a closet until, you know, they eventually unban it. That that's the the only qualm I have with the pick overall. But otherwise, I think it's fine. It, I think it's just a fine card to continue to continue to remind people that exists. 
it does something unique that we don't see all the time. It's basically this and Kiki Jiki, right? That's yeah, it. That's the, the it. Only, the two most popular uh, style of this effect. And at the end of the day, it's just something to keep your eye on. So yeah. I think fine upcycle and a fine pick for people who want to move it on for a number of reasons overall. Um, anything else before we cut out? I think no. we did we talk a little bit last week about upcoming star cities? Yes, we did talk a little bit about it. Um, we do have the full year, uh, launched, which is kind of interesting because they haven't really done that before. No, it's usually quarterly. Yeah. And do you know where you're going to be? I think we talked about this last time. This is what we talked about. I might be within driving distance. So I might be in Baltimore and DC. I might be in Valley Forge as well. That one's coming up quick. Yeah, I'll be in D.C. for sure. I might be in Vegas. I might be in Philly. Still not 100. Okay. So we will let everybody know as we get to those. But until next week, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Facebook, Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. If you want to reach either one of us on Twitter, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are at Damon underscore Thurston. We'll see you next week.